Global Bitcoin Fest. Celebrate Bitcoin adoption with Bitcoin communities worldwide. Okay, so welcome to Global Bitcoin Fest and uh, Harlem in New York, USA. So it's a uh, an exceptional episode where we are diving into a neighborhood instead of the normal country and an exceptional vibrant neighborhood super interesting uh, to learn about Harlem we really look forward to that Global Bitcoin Fest we are a community of plebs from all over the world we started by giving away free sats in Spanish in various countries El Salvador Mexico Cuba Venezuela we formed a little chat group where we uh, planned the next free sats giveaway and uh, one day a guy had the idea to uh, do a 24-hour non-stop twitter space where we celebrated the adoption of bitcoin in el salvador and that would be on the 7th of september we had six days to plan this sounded like a really bad idea but <laughs> within 12 hours we were all planning this and uh, it turned out to be an amazing event. We had 24 separate sections with guests from over 18 different countries sharing about what was happening in their part of the world. And it, it was a lot of amazing maxis and super interesting stories. So we decided, let's do this every week, one country every week. And uh, sometimes we make exceptions for exceptionally interesting places like Roatan, um, that we did two weeks ago, an island uh, in Honduras where they're doing really interesting stuff. And now um, we're doing Harlem. So with that, me, I'm Lucas from Global Bitcoin Fest. I started out as uh, a shit corner back in 2013, bought some light coin, bought some feather coin uh, because I didn't have time to do much research. I was really busy building my startup and... Um, I forgot about everything until 2017 when I got kicked out of my company and I had some time on my hands, did some research, thought, okay, I'll stick to at least 50% Bitcoin. And, but I got really confused by the block size wars, went all in on shitcoins, lost 98% of everything. And only in 2020, I actually looked at uh, Bitcoin seriously when I sold my shares in my company and had to think of how to save responsibly. And and uh, that's how I arrived to Bitcoin, because after having looked at all kinds of assets, startups, uh, commodities, stocks, bonds, I realized the only safe way to store your savings um, and hedge against the inflation and uh, basically preserve your time is Bitcoin. And then I started hanging out in Twitter spaces and uh, I became a proper maxi talking to amazing clubs like yourselves and uh, then I thought maybe I can contribute some way. I don't have any startup idea in Bitcoin, but uh, naturally, Low Bitcoin Fest became my way of contributing. So we're 15 people-ish that are doing various things, and um, yeah, I'm one of them. And uh, with that, maybe if you can start um, Harlem Bitcoin uh, and your your other account, uh, if you can share that. Sure, thank you so much. Lucas, thank you for setting this up. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. We're happy to see you in the group uh, on on uh, Telegram, and I'm 
I was really happy that you set this up for us, and, and we've appreciated it very much. Uh, my name is Jesse, Jesse Cervantes. I'm, uh, I'm a co-founding member of Harlem Bitcoin community. I'm using the moniker now, uh, but we, I shared amongst the other co-founding members, and some of them will speak today. Uh, I'm from, I live, I was born in the United States. My father's from uh, Mexico. My, my mother and her side of family are, are American. I grew up in Florida and I moved to New York in 1999. And uh, I've been here ever since in, in the city. I was a public school teacher. And it, right after September 11th, I lived, I was here during that time. And I was living in Queens at the time. And uh, right after that, I was on the subway one day and there was a, a message. I saw a bunch of messages on the subway that said, uh, you should do something, you know, basically you should do something with your life. You ever thought about teaching kids? You know, a lot of, a lot of public schools need help. And there was this program called the New York city teaching fellows. And uh, so I signed up and I was lucky enough to be accepted. And so uh, during we were able to start teaching immediately. So I became a school teacher in the South Bronx. I taught elementary school and uh, I earned my master's degree in education at the same time. That was in uh, 2002, 2003. And I ended up doing that for about six years I taught uh, fifth grade for one year and then moved in and became a music teacher. Uh, even though I had actually never gone to school for music, I was a hobbyist and enthusiast. I started doing an after-school program. And uh, it just, you know the principal, I was very lucky to have a, a principal that, that cared about that kind of stuff because there was no arts or music in our school at the time. In fact, we didn't even have a PA system in our school or air conditioners when I first started. And this was in the early 2000s. So you know things were a little bit behind still. But anyway, I did that for about six years, and then uh, I sort of took a break from that. I, I got a little burnout, and I moved into doing other things. I, as a hobby, I had been making uh, YouTube videos and comedy videos. I had been writing. I'd always been interested in writing and video production and stuff, and I taught myself how to do After Effects, and I taught myself how to edit. And uh, in some time, I managed to get a job working at a small production house doing uh, videos and uh, editing and stuff. And then uh, eventually, I got a job in TV doing uh, graphics for a variety of television shows. And uh, I did some daytime talk shows. And uh, and mostly now I do comedy shows or have mostly done comedy shows for the last five years or so uh, on like Comedy Central and Netflix and other, other stations like that. And that's what I love doing, really. I, I like uh, working in graphics and stuff. Around 2018, I, I, I had heard of Bitcoin actually from my roommate of mine. And he had mentioned it. And uh, he said something about Bitcoin and something about Tesla. This is uh, probably in 2015 or 16, probably 2016. And uh, I didn't really know what he was talking about. I said, what's Bitcoin? He said, it's magic internet money. I said, well, well, what do I need magic internet money for? And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, and he said, well, you know, people use it to buy things on the internet. I said, well, what are they buying? And he said, well, you know, drugs and stuff, guns and video games. I was like, oh my God. So uh, <laughs> then, uh, you know, we stopped being roommates, but we were still hanging out. About a year later, I saw him again. He's like, you should uh, consider maybe getting some Bitcoin. I think at that, the first time it was about $200. I think the second time it was 500. I thought, to, I said, I was like 500, I'm going to spend 500 bucks on a, on a, on a Bitcoin to do what, you know, uh, it just didn't. Uh, so anyway, you know, fast forward a couple more years, I'm working at a, I'm working at a comedy show and, uh, I, I was we would watch the news sometimes during the day, and uh, and they started talking about Bitcoin hit a thousand, then two thousand, then five thousand, then ten thousand, and then twenty thousand. I said, "Oh my, you know, I think I need to figure out what this thing is," and uh, that was sort of the beginning of my <laughs> actual Bitcoin journey. And uh, it, I've been I've been 
pretty hardcore ever since I, I, I I've done everything like you did, Lucas. I was I went into all the shit coins for a while, and uh, you know I just like everybody else does. But um, fast forward uh, a few years later, and I was walking my dog. When, well, actually, I was hanging at a restaurant here in Harlem. I went to a restaurant called Safari, and I was probably looking at the price on my phone or something, and the guy who owned the restaurant started a conversation with me. It turned out to be Shakib, who was uh, into Bitcoin, and so we started a conversation. Then about probably four or five months later, I ran into DM, who's Dan, who's going to talk probably right after me, and uh, and I said, oh. I told I mentioned to him while I was walking my dog. He saw my T-shirt. And I don't know how it got onto, but we got it quickly got into Bitcoin. And uh, it turns out he was even the most hardcore Bitcoin dude I ever met in my life. Uh, he was like basically me, but from four years earlier. Like he had already done one whole cycle before me. So then uh, I said, "Well, you got to meet this dude, Shakib." And so, uh, well, Dan says to me, "Well, you got to meet this guy, John, who I'm doing uh, these Twitter Spaces with." And so the four of us went to a safari restaurant. It was just earlier this year in uh, March, actually, early March. And uh, we all sat down together and we said, let's just do this. We looked. There was no website. HarlemBitcoin.com was not owned. There was no uh, Twitter handle or Instagram. And so we took it and uh, we ran with it. And that, that we did our first meeting that month. came out very nicely. And, and it's just kind of been moving ever since. And we'll probably talk more about that later. But that's sort of a brief history of my situation with uh, New York and with Bitcoin. So um, DM. Yeah. Please go ahead next. Yeah. Well, first of all, yes, Levy, thank you again for hosting us tonight. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. And just, yeah, to kind of take it back a little bit to the way that, you know, all of us talked about our entry to Bitcoin. Everyone has a story. It's always an interesting story. It usually involves hearing about Bitcoin multiple times before you really get it. Um, and, and, you know, we all have that journey that we go on. I was, uh, see, let's see how I can begin this. So I, I lived in, in New York and, and mostly the time I lived in New York, I lived in Harlem since uh, just around uh, 2000. My parents actually are from Brooklyn. Uh, so I was not born here. I was born in upstate New York, but I uh, came back here for work. I was interested in kind of breaking into the industry in uh, advertising, graphic arts. That was what I studied when I went to college. And so um, it was always a sort of in my mind that I would end up in New York again. So I, I came down here um, about a year or so after I, I graduated and just started looking for interesting companies or interesting types of work that I could do. And, uh, you know, this is right before 9-11, just like, uh, you know, Jesse was talking about. And so my first couple of years in New York were really chaotic <laughs> because, you know, once, once that happened, it was like, I was questioning everything. I was questioning, you know, my entire existence and, and what I would be doing with my life uh, because nothing that I expected would happen was happening. You know, I, I was coming down here to make a, a go of my, my life, to make a career uh, and, and to, you know, figure out my purpose. And suddenly I, I just didn't know anymore what anything meant. It was, it was just so confusing. But, um, you know, we, we got through that time. It was a really difficult experience for anyone who lived through that. Um, and uh, I think it made us, you know, a lot stronger because we realized that we could endure those types of completely unexpected and, and cataclysmic events as a, not just individually, but as a city, as a nation, and, and still be able to, to grow from that. So, uh, you know, fast forward a few years, I, I began working in, uh, in advertising and, and design, ended up at a large tech company in about maybe 10 years later. Uh, and and I'll, I'll, let me just take one step back from that. So the, the other main kind of event that took place, uh, this, this goes back to around 2007, 
was the great financial crisis. Uh, and I, I can't talk about Bitcoin or my experience without really mentioning that. I was working as uh, a art director for uh, an advertising agency. Uh, one of the main clients they had was a large bank in America who shall not be named. And uh, they happened to be uh, advertising a couple of uh, products uh, at that time. One of them was uh, unsecured student loans of up to $40,000. The other was home equity lines of credit. And uh, I, I just had a really bad feeling about the work I was doing. It just wasn't fulfilling. It, it, it just was uh, bringing me down. And I realized that what I was doing was actually contributing to hurting people. Uh, and, I, and I learned that you know, not long after when, when the, the financial collapse actually took place, that um, you know, people who were in those exact positions, the ones who were buying those services, were the ones who were most affected. Um, so uh, you know, fast forward a year or so, uh, Occupy Wall Street was happening. There were people you know, out of work who'd lost their homes, lost their jobs, and were just camping out on the streets of New York. And I, I, I was here during that time. And it, you know, it felt like another sort of almost semi-apocalyptic moment. In fact, uh, a lot of the, the people that were camping out were right across the street from where the World Trade Center used to stand. So it really kind of brought things back full circle for me. And, and uh, you know, I found out a few years later that, you know, Bitcoin had actually emerged from the ashes of that same financial apocalypse. And so um, I, I didn't learn about it right away. Uh, I, I was, you know, working for a... a at another company um, with some folks that were, you know, starting to talk about investing. Uh, I never had any money to my own, really never really had had much savings, didn't know how to invest and, and didn't know what I was doing. Uh, but I, I was sort of looking for interesting ways that I could maybe uh, start putting together uh, a future for myself, uh, some sort of retirement income outside of just a 401k. And so I was reading the news one day, and so, so I actually saw that there was um, going to be a legalization of marijuana in a couple of states in uh, the end of 2013, early 2014, uh, in Colorado and in Washington state. And so I said, well, there's got to be something in there that we can invest in. So I, I went to a couple of people that I worked with and said, hey, let's buy some penny stocks in the, in the marijuana business. And so... I, I scrapped together kind of what I could find. I had about, about maybe a thousand bucks that I, I could, could uh, uh, use. And, and we just picked literally a couple of companies at random. I uh, had no idea what, what they were going to turn out to be. Um, one of them was in the, uh, the infrastructure space for hydroponic gardening. One was more in the medical space and just sort of forgot about it for a while. Uh, and so, you know, during that time, I was also paying attention to things that were happening in the world. Um, there was the Cyprus bank balance of 2013. There was the WikiLeaks uh, a situation where um, all of the financial payment networks began censoring them and stopping payments to them uh, because they were doing things that were not approved by banks and governments. And so uh, during that time, I started to hear the word Bitcoin. Um, it had just sort of crept up in the, in the subconscious, and I was reading tweets about it and, and seeing articles where it was mentioned, but I didn't know what it was. It was still a little confusing to me, and I didn't really understand what my involvement in it could be. And it wasn't until maybe the end of, of uh, 2013 when I stumbled upon a video by Andreas Antonopoulos. He was giving a talk at the, the Disrupt Conference in Greece and happened to you know, speak about Bitcoin in a way that I had never heard it described before. And so I began following just as, as much as I could, I began reading material, I began looking for YouTube videos, I began looking at other you know, places I could, could learn about Bitcoin from people in person, uh, from people 
anywhere in the world that I could just interact with. And I, I knew that this it kind of, it, it lit a spark in me in the way that nothing else had since I discovered the internet. Um, and, and I realized that there's something here, something that has to, to come from this. And so uh, it was around the end of, of the year, uh, I, I checked back on my stock account and I had seen that the, the pot stocks that we had invested in had done 10x and I'd never seen anything like that in my life. So suddenly I'm sitting on $10,000 and I had to sell. I was like, oh my gosh, I need to take this money out and do something with it. And so what did I do? I started buying Bitcoin. And I happened to be buying Bitcoin right at the moment that uh, the Mt. Gox uh, scenario happened when that began to collapse. And so we saw the price of Bitcoin go from you know, a couple hundred bucks. It was, I think, about $10 at the beginning of 2013 before I bought any and it got to $1,000. And so I, I began jumping in, like FOMOing in at 1000 bucks. And I just watched my $10,000 begin to shrivel <laughs> down to, you know, as far down as it could go. And it took about another year. Um, uh, and it, by January of 2015, we were down to $200 of Bitcoin. And, you know, but fortunately, during that time, I began to become more in, immersed and involved in the space. I used to go down to, there was a, a place called the Bitcoin Center down um, actually on Wall Street. It was right near the, the stock exchange that was run by some real hardcore Bitcoiners. In fact, Charlie Shrem used to hang out there. He, he ran the door and uh, they, they would bring in interesting speakers uh, from all over the world to talk about Bitcoin. In fact, uh, and, and they also had some shit corners there. In fact, Vitalik was there one day. I was actually in the audience when Vitalik was talking about Ethereum. And I didn't understand a word of what he was saying. And, and uh, <laughs> it didn't make sense to me then. And it doesn't make sense now. But, you know, the things that I was thinking about when I thought about, you know, what Bitcoin could solve, what problems it could solve, really had to do with real world problems for people um, who were suffering from financial uh, calamity. Uh, how do we help those types of people? And I know we'll get more into that type of conversation later. But, you know, that's sort of my origin story. I began just studying Bitcoin as much as I could, began getting involved in the space uh, and meeting as many people as I could. And so in uh, in 2021, when I was out walking my dog one day, I happened to run into into this this uh, guy with another dog. And we the dogs met each other before we did. And I saw he was wearing a really interesting T-shirt. And I'm into, into art and design. And, and uh, he told me that, uh, that the designer of the shirt was actually the artist who, who draws for the Garbage Pail Kids, which was something I loved as a child. And so we just began this conversation about Bitcoin and we realized that there was no Bitcoin education happening in New York City, not at the level that, that people need it, not in a way that is approachable and real to them. Uh, you know, there's plenty of, of uh, crypto groups, there's plenty of, of companies that are doing things here to, to cater to high net worth individuals, but there's nothing that speaks to the people and the people are the, are the ones who need Bitcoin the most. And so that's really why we started this group. Boom. Thank you so much for that story. It's super interesting. Hey, the recycling guy. Do I call you the recycling guy or something else? Uh, yeah, no. My name is Mr. G. Um, my friends call me uh, Mr. G. Uh, that's my professional name. I'd like to be addressed as Mr. G. <laughs> I've been in New York for quite some time. Uh, my parents and I, we all came here early in the 1990s, around 1994. So I've been pretty much grown up in the United States, but we are originally from Ghana and we are basically just, you know, regular working average American folks. And just, I'm uh, a sibling, uh, one of two. Uh, my brother's, uh, he's, uh, he works for AT&T and I'm a self, uh, I'm a sole proprietor. I have a small business. So growing up in the Bronx, it's just, uh, you know, 
the neighborhoods where you grow up in, uh, it's a lot of influences and stuff. You go outside and you hang around with uh, the kids that are up to the good stuff or up to the bad stuff, <laughs> for lack of a better term. So, you know, I was more or less someone that uh, explored. I was always a kid that hung around outside and that sort of thing. But I was also pretty uh, smart, perceptive around computers. I actually have family members that are, actually had a family member that's a PhD in a computer science. And uh, he's the family member that installed uh, the first computer in my house when I was around like 10 years old. So I've always been able to interact with the front end of computers and that sort of thing. So new concepts around computers, digital scarcity, things like that, they're not really foreign to me. So I could say I'm a child of the internet. I've been all over the internet. And um, my first introduction to Bitcoin was at a time of my life when I seriously messed up. I mean, royally messed up. And I was handed a book. So I didn't discover Bitcoin in like a blog post or like um, a website or anything like that. I was handed a book uh, during a time when I was uh, doing a bid in prison. And uh, the book was called Bitcoin and the Future of Money by Jose Paglieri. It was, uh, it was a book that described the white paper and uh, the other coins and the technology behind Bitcoin. And this is like 2016. And so around that time, Bitcoin was kind of popular, not as popular as uh, it is today and everything like that. And I never got a chance to act on it. So in, in fact, I never got a chance to act on Bitcoin up until like, let's say 2018 and uh, that sort of thing. But my introduction to Bitcoin was actually pretty like, uh, it was like a life-changing event. And at that point, I knew that Bitcoin was something that's going to change the world. Uh, it took me a while to basically get uh, after. I, well, after I did a little bit of a uh, time and everything like that, I basically took some time to get myself together and uh, learn some new skills around, uh, you know, how to start a business and everything like that. And uh, I basically got a little more educated around Bitcoin. I introduced myself to a lot of Andreas Antonopoulos videos, uh, a lot of stuff on on the internet at that time that basically as much, as much knowledge as I could around Bitcoin. So there wasn't really a Twitter space or anything like that. And, and basically Twitter at that time was like, uh, I came over here to look for knowledge and maybe some people that were into Bitcoin. I seen a couple of people like maybe, uh, uh, Pierre Rochard and Max Kaiser and, and then those people, but basically Twitter was like, it was crazy. So I just, I didn't come back here up until like 2020. So it's just been, me just talking to people on the street. So I have a lot, a lot of anecdotal, anecdotal stuff that I could share about Bitcoin, my experiences and how other people have around me have had other experiences around Bitcoin. I can say that today I've lived a completely different life than I was, let's say, a decade ago. Today, I actually give back to my community, the same community that you could say I, um, hmm, I ran around and didn't really give a hoot about. Right. So today I, uh, I run a recycling route. Right. And uh, I help people that uh, necessarily look for side incomes in the bottles and uh, cans industry. Right. So in New York State, uh, bottles and cans are basically uh, you can re redeem them for five cents. It's a, it's a bottle tax that you can redeem at a, a store or any location that accepts bottle redemptions. It's not something that's new. It's actually in, in a lot of places around the world. Recycling is actually um, a very large component of the supply chain. But um, yeah, in New York, it's actually pretty, uh, 
it's pretty decent. So people can uh, make a standard and a small living out of that. So what I do is I just uh, I help people and uh, I facilitate the transfer of the bottles f- from the people in the street that collect them to the local recycling center that I'm partnered with. How I plan to integrate Bitcoin in the uh, in the future with my side hustle is maybe I can uh, possibly integrate a way where I can incorporate maybe some payments to my clients via Bitcoin, Lightning, or maybe possibly a way to convert a lot of the waste into, uh, let's say, some kind of renewable sources. Because I guess that's the way, that's the direction where everything's blowing. So essentially, we can play the game too. And we can show people, just like the oil and gas industry, uh, you can also attach renewable energy sources to like uh, Bitcoin and there's just this whole protocol. I'm also a hobbyist miner. I like to I like to mine Bitcoin as a hobby. It's it's great. I like to play around with the <laughs> with the parts, a little bit of electricity here and there. You get to know what uh, the hardware is about, the components. What I'm doing right now is I'm actually just building something, and it's uh, it's really like a work in progress. Just so I got introduced to uh, Harlem Bitcoin DM and uh, everybody involved uh, via Bitcoin Twitter and. My thing is like I seen I seen a lot of integrity in Harlem Bitcoin and the message, so I just you know it's natural for me to uh, kind of inquire more. And uh, we just started this year, but uh, I see a lot of great things happening. But, yeah, I went out and did a ride along with uh, with Mr. G a couple weeks ago. I did a ride along with him, and uh, and we made a short video. So I'm editing it now, and uh, so at some point uh, that'll be out, and you'll be able to get a little bit more and get to see really what he does because it is really interesting and fascinating. And uh, super cool, and he's a great guy. He's very helpful to the to the Harlem Bitcoin community, and uh, and he's very active and and he's he's very humble. But uh, he he's got a lot more going on. Thank you. Super interesting story. And I I've been chatting with with Mr. G. Um, that's he, he was the one that got me hooked on the Harlem community and was like I I have to do a space with you guys. So so thank you for for your great great voice and put his faces. Hey, Shakib. Yes. Hey, thank you very much, guys, for having us. Uh, a little introduction to myself. So I've got into uh, the Bitcoin industry by uh, when I was in a business school. A friend of mine at one one time just said, hey, Shakib, there's uh, two of them said like, hey, there's this thing called Bitcoin and it's like around 2013. I'm like, what is it? And, I, and they're like, you know, it's called Bitcoin. It's a digital form of payment. And in the future, you could keep it uh, in your own custody and just you know, there will be no intermediary. And that was very interesting. I have to get to read the white paper in the middle of the night. And just I was like, wow, after I have every page of that reading white paper was like making sense to me in a way that this could be a form of way that no one explained in terms of money and abatement and internet was that was the piece that I envisioned would, would make sense. to so, And I started trying to buy in it. But the first time my computer I try to log in Bitcoin.com and try to buy it, but it was a message that says a U.S. government. This is you, you're visiting this page, and then they immediately just close my screen. So a year later, when it became legal in New York, I bought a Bitcoin, and I was holding the custody a little bit of it, you know, getting into it, you know, back and forth in Bitcoin. And right in 2017, this thing went up all the way, as you remember. And fascinatingly, later on, just getting into the business of it, I went on getting into the restaurant business, opening my restaurant, just kind of forget about the Bitcoin. And recently, around 2020, I went back just learning more about the technology aspect behind the blockchain aspect of it. Went and rolled myself a bootcamp of a 
fintech bootcamp, Columbia. I learned a little bit of the back end of what happened in this technology. Uh, their smart contracts, the digital payments, how these Bitcoin and uh, UTXOs and all of these way of sending and making all these custody more usable in a technical aspect. So as soon as we finished, uh, right around that time, actually Jesse was the friend that I used to come to Safari and eat at a lunch. And one day I strike a conversation and we talk about a Bitcoin and, and all of that. And then I realized that he was a Cardano guy at some point. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we were like talking for a minute. And uh, uh, later on, he, he introduced me to Dan. And then we were like, we got to have to just create a, some sort of, a, you know, a community, Harlem Bitcoin community. That was the initial name of it. Just to give it educating about people, how to buy, how to just transfer a wallet, how to just use the various simple pieces of it. And first showcase of Harlem Bitcoin meetup, we did it at Safari. I remember that even uh, it turned out well, right? Right, guys? I think that was beautifully. It was wonderful. We had about 25 people. If I remember, it was, it was the middle of March. It was a, a rainy, kind of cold night, and the place was packed. We had no expectations for what we were going to experience that night. We had just put out some flyers on the street and set up a meetup group like the week before. And people started coming and they, they poured in and we met some really interesting folks from across the city, from, from across the spectrum, different age groups, different experiences. And, you know, we gave uh, individually, we gave talks about things about Bitcoin that we were interested in. Uh, you, you know, Jesse gave his uh, spiel about, you know, what is the 21 million? What does that mean? What, what, is, what does it mean to hold Bitcoin? I talked about uh, security, how to use a hardware wallet. Uh, John was there talking about, um, you know, the idea, the concept of freedom money. He introduced the white paper, talked about the history of, of uh, you know, oppression in financial industries. Uh, and I know that, you know, Shaqib talked a lot about his experiences in Bitcoin as well. And it was just a really welcoming experience um, and, and beyond any expectations. I remember we said to when ourselves, was this? this was in March. This was late March. We, we, the four of us met at Safari, which is Shaqib's restaurant on 116th Street between uh, Adam Clayton, which is uh, 7th Avenue, and Frederick Douglass, which is 8th Avenue. And actually, Dan said that day, we got to make 116th Street uh, Bitcoin Boulevard. So that's sort of been our uh, little sub name that we've been having, you know, Bitcoin Boulevard for Harlem. But uh, yeah, I remember uh, before that, the four of us said, you know, if two people show up, we're going to be happy. I mean, we'll be ecstatic if two people show up. And yeah, so when like there were 20 or a little bit more than that, uh, it was it was very exciting. And, uh, and it's just kind of, it's taken off in a lot of ways since then. And so we're just trying to keep up. I'm kind of wondering if we, I, we're already on this subject, so maybe that's where we should start. I just would like to mention that uh, one of the reasons that I, I felt that I really wanted to do a space with you guys about Harlem Bitcoin was because I actually spent a month in Harlem in 2019, in July. Wow. I mean, it was really an amazing place. I I just loved it. It was there so you go. Yes. <laughs> it was there was so much stuff happening. I was staying at 119th uh, East Harlem. Yeah, and uh, it was it was just like I was blown away by the vibrancy of the place. And I've been curious uh, ever since. Like, you know, uh, hitting on uh, uh, Mr. G on on spaces just made me like, oh, I really want to hear. You know the in-depth stories of the place because it's um, 
it seems to be such a, pl- a place where culture is born. And um, yes. yeah. yeah. And we're trying to really, we're hoping to carry on that tradition. I guess, Lucas, if you don't mind, I'll, and I, I know uh, Dan will probably pop in. I, I'll just give a sort of real quick, brief, broad overview of Harlem, because sometimes even, I'm surprised even if I go to Florida, people don't even realize Harlem is part of Manhattan. They don't, they think it's part, they might, it might be part of New York City or New York, but they don't really realize where it is. So uh, Harlem is a neighborhood. It's just a, it's a region inside of Manhattan. Uh, New York City uh, has five, what they call boroughs, five main areas. And it's the Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and Manhattan. Manhattan mean the main one. And downtown is Wall Street. And Midtown is around Times Square. And then uptown is Harlem. And it's the name everybody knows. And it goes basically from, uh, the, the dividing line, I guess, officially is 96th Street. But, you know, sort of the top of Central Park is 110th Street. Well, I was going to say, um, yeah, Jesse. Hey, Jesse, I was going to say, wasn't it 110th Street? Like, that was the official, like, uh... Yeah. So I was I was reading on, uh, I was looking at a little re- uh, research today just to be sure I said the right thing. And I always thought it was 110th Street. And I always said 110th Street. But when I was looking at the things, they kept saying 96, even though it didn't sound right. But uh, it, it's really 110th Street, the north end of Manhattan, uh, the north end of Central Park, up to about uh, 145th Street, roughly, or 155th Street. Getting back to sort of the rough history, uh, Harlem was actually established in in the late 16 in 1658. It was because uh, it was it's named after the Dutch city of Harlem because uh, New York City was originally New Amsterdam. And so it was originally a Dutch uh, colony. Uh, and then uh, Harlem sort of was was just pastoral. It was like uh, people that would live downtown would come up here for like their weekends or for uh, vacation kind of, you know, like what way people now would leave to go to Connecticut. It was farmland. There were cows and horses, uh, cows and sheep and strawberry fields and stuff like that. And it was basically like that for, for quite a while until around the 1800s. Uh, it started to develop. They started building all these brownstones that, that are sort of the iconic, what you see in New York now. My building that I live in now was built in 1906, so it's about 110 years old. And uh, even in my building, when I moved into my apartment, we had to redo the electricity. There were still gas lights. You know, we still had gas lights in here. And there's even a, one of the walls, we had. To, we took out one of the walls, and there was a fireplace, a small fireplace behind there that you know, was actually people used to use. You know, I'm on the fifth floor of a walk-up, and it's beautiful. In the uh, late 1800s, there was, I think, some kind of financial crisis around the 1890s, and the pe- and the people started leaving, uh, and they needed people to move in. They needed people to rent to. And so in the early 1900s, like around 1905, they started letting Black people live here, African Americans. There was a something, you know, because there was still a lot of segregation in the South, and uh, a lot, it was difficult for people to live uh, in a lot of other places. So they were migrating to the north. Uh, New York City was a great hub. And because there was cheap uh, apartments available, even though they weren't in the best shape at that time, uh, this is where they started uh, moving to. And by the nineteen, by about 1920, Harlem was predominantly African-American. And that's really where that whole idea that whole existence and that's when the harlem renaissance happened there was a because that everybody came here at the same time there was a great intellectual you know art movement uh, jazz art traditional art writing poetry music you know different kinds of music and that's really what made harlem really put harlem on the map was that time the harlem renaissance from you know the 1920s 30s 40s 50s the east side of harlem 
then and now is uh, what they call Spanish Harlem sometimes, which is uh, predominantly uh, Puerto Rican. And the West Side is predominantly African-American. And then uh, sometime in like the early 2000s uh, or, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, they changed some of the laws. So the And developers started coming here and it started building up a little bit. And that's sort of where what we have now, what some people call gentrification, which is uh, people with more money, often uh, white people, often uh, just people with a little bit more cash are moving in. It sort of starts displacing the people that traditionally lived here for many uh, decades, but it's still still predominantly African-American on this side. It's still predominantly Hispanic on the east side. And that's kind of where we are now. For us, you know, we want to sort of just live on the, the tradition of the Harlem Renaissance in the sense of, you know, having a Bitcoin Renaissance or a money Renaissance or a financial Renaissance by sort of just educating the public um, on what's going on. And our main goal for Harlem Bitcoin community has been since the beginning you know, financial inclusion, uh, a, a circular Bitcoin economy through the Lightning Network. We can't really do that now. We could talk about that later because of some of the laws in New York State. Uh, so, and we'll get to that, I'm sure, uh, as some of the challenges we have. But the main thing is to just get people off zero. We just want people to understand that there is this thing available and it's a great opportunity. And, you know, it's very difficult. It, it's very difficult to get anybody to on board to Bitcoin at first, even us. I mean, we've all told the story. None of us were ready when we first heard about it, really. And uh, so, you know, we understand it's going to take time, but we're happy. We talked to, uh, yeah, John is not here right now, but he'll come in uh, later at some point. Uh, he's very good at getting us in touch with uh, local uh, congressmen, state congress representatives, people on city councils. And we've actually sat on meetings with them and had discussions with them about Bitcoin. We're just trying to get the idea out there so that people can start to understand that it, it's something legitimate. It's not something to be afraid of. Uh, it's something to uh, that's going to really help people. And just, just for like geography to orient people. So Manhattan is like a peninsula, right? Uh, that's like it's an island. Down. Right. Oh, it's an island. Okay, sorry. Bitcoin's uh, an, an island. island. Yeah, it, it, Manhattan is an island in and of itself. It's sort of it's okay. very long. It's about twelve miles long and about four miles across at its widest point. It kind of goes to a little bit of a not a point on the north, and uh, but it kind of it it gets smaller towards the top. That might be the peninsula part you're thinking of, and then the bottom part uh, is yeah, the, yeah. the world famous skyline near the Statue of Liberty that everybody knows. Uh, so it's just an island in and of itself. The bottom third of Manhattan was built before they had done a lot of uh, city planning. So the roads kind of go in a lot of wild directions, and it can be a little bit difficult sometimes to navigate, especially around Wall Street. But uh, around uh, around the bottom third, that's where the numbers start. Around Actually, it's what we now call the village, the East and West Village. Uh, that's where you get first, second, third street. And from that point on, the entire city is a grid. So uh, the city grid starts there. It goes up to 59th Street is the bottom of Central Park. And then Central Park goes uh, for t- for two av- three avenues from 8th to 5th. From fifth a- The avenues go north and south. The streets go east and west. So uh, 5th Avenue is like the dividing line between the east and west side. So anything on the right or anything to the west of uh Fifth Avenue is called West Something Street, and anything to the east of that is called East Something Street. So, if uh, when you say when people say you're on the west side or the east side, you're you're really saying what side of Fifth Avenue you live on. Fifth Avenue goes all the way up and all the way down. 
basically. And then uh, the north end of Central Park, the top, the very top of Central Park is 110th Street. So it goes from 59th to 110th, and that's what we usually call the the line that delineates where Harlem starts. And that goes from 110th for about uh, 25, 35 blocks, I guess, to about 145th Street. Does that sound fair to everybody who lives here? You're right about, about that. was great, so, Jesse. One of them. So, you know, there's this famous song called Across 110th Street. And that really does talk about the dividing line between the west side, West Harlem, and the upper west side of Manhattan. Uh, but you were also right that 96th Street is the dividing line on the east side. So it does wrap around Central Park. So, in fact, when we had our uh, meetups at uh, this, the community space um, where Shakib uh, lives in, in his complex, that's actually further south than 110th. That's uh, that's closer to 96th Street. So it's, um, yeah, it, it's kind of, it, it, it's confusing to look at on a map if you don't know the city well. But, you know, you know the difference when you cross the street. Um, you know, you can sort of feel the difference. It's a different energy when you go from one neighborhood to another and it's, it's block by block. And, and so, it, you know, it's what keeps the city interesting. It's what keeps it lively. You know, it's, it's a fascinating place. It's always been in flux. Uh, I, I remember my grandmother telling me the story, you know, she came to this country in the early part of the 1900s. It was sometime, I don't know the exact year, but it was sometime um, in, in the 19 teens. And her first apartment where she lived was on 121st and 1st. So she was a Harlem resident way back then, even before the Harlem Renaissance took place. And so for me, it's sort of a homecoming, you know, living in this area as long as I have. I've been here uh, since, like I was saying, you know, over 20 years. And I've seen things change at a pace that you wouldn't see in most other places uh, in this country. Uh, It's almost as if, you know, I, I joke about it, but it's almost as if New York discovered it had three more avenues and decided to build on them. And, you know, we've seen that happen where there were once vacant lots, uh, abandoned properties that have now been rehabilitated or replaced with uh, larger buildings, new restaurants, new stores that have opened up in this neighborhood. And I remember there was a a soul food place called Melba's uh, that's that's still open. It's uh, it's over on 8th Avenue around 114th Street. And Melba, who's one of the sweetest people I've ever met, she's been running this place since, since she founded it, chose that neighborhood, that corner, specifically because it was blighted. Because it had drugs and crime, uh, you know, running rampant, and she wanted to provide a beacon of hope to people who lived in the neighborhood that there could be something better for them. And so, uh, you know, we've seen that happen as a result of the people that made it happen. Uh, you know, the, the hard work and the, and the energy that they poured into these establishments to try to create something new. And that's why, you know, I, when I see places like what Shakib is doing with uh, with Safari bringing international food bringing his his cuisine from somalia that he's interpreted in his own way for for his audience uh all the different immigrant neighborhoods and immigrant restaurants and 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 businesses that have have been building something for this city to give it its continued character as it's changing over the years but still keeping it a place that you can find anything and it's just remarkable to see how this neighborhood has has evolved in just a short uh, couple of decades. Yeah, I got to say it's really kicking over here. I mean, it's it's amazing. Uh, there's, I can't believe the amount of incredible restaurants that are all over uh, on eight. What uh, Frederick Douglass, which is uh, basically Eighth Avenue, uh, all the way from one sixteenth, all the way up to one twenty fifth, and and everything in between. It's really it's really wonderful. And I and I, I have to say too, actually. Uh, despite the whole shutdown that lasted 
roughly a year, maybe a little bit more. It's even hard to remember time in some funny ways. Uh, but almost every restaurant's still there. I mean, pretty much everything's still there. A couple of the restaurants closed down. You know, we lost a coffee shop maybe, but I guess we can get by. I guess that's okay. <laughs> you know, there's plenty of coffee shops for sure. But uh, most of the restaurants are here, and Safari in particular is going strong. And it's uh, it's delicious, excellent, wonderful food. And he does what, a lot they of did stuff in the community. There's a, there's a food yeah. bank, and, and Shaquib donates a lot of food to the food bank too, right on the corner. We should talk about the food bank. But what I was just going to say, one of the things that, that they did here that I think was really smart was the outdoor dining, um, how it's it's really, even year-round, has become a thing that people don't want to give up. Now that restaurants all over the, the city can now provide uh, outside tables on the sidewalk, uh, even you know in the middle of the winter when they're heated, uh, it's given people reasons to, to continue to go out and support these local businesses. Uh, and it's just been, it's been something that we needed as a city for a long time. And now we have uh, weekends where they shut down the streets and people can go out in the streets and enjoy themselves because there aren't that many, you know, spaces you can go when you live in an apartment, you don't usually have a backyard or a terrace or any sort of place you can, you can do something outdoors. The, the community happens in the streets and in the parks and you see it, you know, I was just out earlier walking my dog and, and the neighborhood was just filled with music and, and people partying. It's the end of a weekend. Uh, you know, there was this big uh, parade today that Jesse was, was speaking about earlier. People are just out enjoying themselves uh, on this beautiful night. And, uh, you know, I, I, I never want to see that end. I think the, 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 um, the, the, Part of the character of a neighborhood is just what you see and feel and smell and hear in the streets. Like Lucas, you were talking about before the experience you had coming here. Every place has its own character, and I, I like places that have uh, such a, a diverse mix of, of, of experiences that you can have just moving from one block to another. Like New York is very living, but I found Harlem to be exceptionally alive. That's right. It's a place where actually that you can find a whole mix of, of a New York a culture that always shows a difference, you know, at some point. Like Dan was saying, today we have the African-American parade, and then the whole neighborhood was like lit with, with energy, you know. One thing that I'm curious about is, is your restaurant one of the, or the, uh, the hub or place that you guys are using for the gathering? Uh, yes, we do. We do. We do use it sometimes. And sometimes we use it other places, uh, uh spaces. And, uh, we've had other problems a few times getting those spaces, uh, with either we have to get a community room or some places where, for example, where I live, uh, we have a great space at a community room where, uh, we've used it a few times, so we have a few options of places where we use gathering. Yeah, Shaquille's so, restaurant uh, is is an excellent spot. It's in a it's in a perfect area. However, you know it's not terribly large. I guess we can say that it, when we had uh, twenty whatever we had twenty twenty five people in our first meeting, that was basically it. I mean, we were at capacity, and even then, uh, you know, there were people. It was standing room, you know, so. When we realized we were getting a little bit more than that appearing to the meetings, we, we understood that we probably had to find another space. Although, we, we might be having another one there very soon. So these community spaces, uh, you mentioned uh, a few times now already, I think. Uh, it's, I think it's interesting for the audience to learn about this concept because it's something that I learned when I was there. I remember passing by... And when I was walking, uh, I was going to catch the subway and I was passing by the space. There was a guy standing there, Mike, and uh, I started talking to him. He was like, 
I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, yeah, I'm just watching the, checking out the kids that are playing basketball here. I'm, I'm just um, keeping check on our community uh, gar- community garden. And uh, by the way, come by next weekend when uh, we're doing our vegan barbecue. And um, uh, it was his kids that were organizing something at the uh, their community space. And uh, I came by by next weekend, and it was like packed. Like <laughs> uh, it was it was a real party. Like I don't know, hundred people and everybody eating these vegan burgers and. Like playing, they had a DJ playing, you know, hip hop music. And one thing that I wondered after that was if these community gardens are also contributing to the really vibrant street life. Um, and like, I don't know when those started. Could you share more about that concept? It's very common here, uh, on, especially on on uh, places that were formerly vacant lots. So what happens is, you know, especially in Harlem, but in a lot of places around the city, there were properties that were abandoned by their owners. And in fact, in the 1980s, um, there were brownstones, whole buildings that were being auctioned off by the city for as little as a dollar. I mean, they were you know, needed a complete rehabilitation, but at the time, no one wanted to buy this, these properties. Some got in early and, you know, in, in many instances, you could think about it like Bitcoin, right? You've got a limited amount of land in Manhattan uh, that you can own and uh, people who got in early managed to, to uh, reap the rewards later. And, and so, you know, some of these properties were, were converted into valuable buildings and some of them were left dormant and vacant. And so there were communities who would sometimes just squat in these spaces. And then they would later petition the city for the, the ability to keep those spaces as community gardens. Now, they weren't all left that way. Uh, you know, we have a, a uh, system here called eminent domain where the city can come in and remove uh, a, uh, a space and, and convert it into something else. But for uh, lots that had not been used for anything, uh, the community would often come together and uh, clean it up. They would uh, remove all the debris, the glass, the bricks, any garbage that was in there. They would replace the soil, put in plants. And so you can walk around the neighborhoods and you can see often there'll be, you know, the size of one building, uh, you know, which is not very big. Sometimes it's more than one. Uh, with a fence around it, um, and and uh, you know a sign on the on the on the outside that that says who's maintaining that garden, and they ask for volunteers to to come in and help. And so anyone can spend any amount of time they want, uh, you know, beautifying these these areas. And so I know the one you're talking about. I think it was you were probably over on Park Avenue or on 110th Street, right near the subway. Um, and that's that's a that's a very nice garden. And they they have little pocket gardens all over the city, um, and, and many of them in, all over Harlem. And, and some of them have been converted into productive projects. Like there's one that they uh, they do uh, actual um, gardening in that they they uh, they they sell the um, the produce. Uh, it's called Harlem Grown, and uh, they they actually converted it into a full business. I don't know the full history of, of Harlem Grown, but they they are now providing uh, sustenance, actual food. Um, uh, for the community. And so, you know, these are the kinds of things that people do when they need space, when they, they only live in an apartment and don't have uh, anywhere they can go. So they, they go there, um, you know, down the block and do some gardening and learn about nature and learn about how things grow and uh, give them an outlet, a place that they can, they can go besides just walking the streets. And these are really good for, for kids, uh, affected youth, teenagers who have have nothing else that they can they can be doing except getting into trouble, and so it, it gives people options. Yeah, I wanted to just share like uh, the, the the part about um, just the city just being a melting pot and just having this rich history and uh, just this so many uses and 
so many things you can do in the city. Like it's it's like a testament to just like uh how far we've come, like as far as like development, development and and just like the economy and everything like that. I just look at it like uh New York is definitely a place where it's like a very booming and vibrant economy. You could definitely uh there's so many pop-up markets. Uh there's so much going on and everything like that. So it's definitely uh it's a very vibrant market. I I just I look at it as as far as uh if you I mean, I don't know anywhere in the world you can buy literally anything in New York and uh, especially Harlem is one of those neighborhoods and um it's so much it's so much like uh to learn from every different part of the city, right? And uh and my travels and everything like that. It's really something to see just how people can um coexist and and just how things just manage to continue and everything like that. Just after what we've gone through and everything like that. It's just it's so it's it's something. Yeah, it's just that was just a thought I had. So the story that is very unique to the uh spacing and, and how we have at some point struggle of finding when we uh, grow and more people are coming into the meetups. We're like we have a community room in my building and then the first time it was easier for us to get it and then the second time we, we try to do like like a monthly kind of a schedule every month. Like either the end of the month or somewhere. So some of that we've had a hard time at one point with with, with some of the tenants in the building who said like you're bringing people from outside and you guys too many people coming in, too many young people coming in. Who are those people? And it's, it's just having a hard time of getting the second appointments of those spaces. And at one point, I realized that uh, I think I, that we have to uh, someone cancel our, our space uh, in that community, close the door, and we have to be at the park. And it's, it's even, that was a Bitcoin pizza day, I believe. Yes. Yeah, we, that yeah, was a Bitcoin I, I pizza day. We had to end it at the park. At the park and, uh, yeah, we ended I, up I in Central Park, park which is... Well. You Worst know, right? places to be, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I, what I was going to say earlier was, you know, is just to, to sort of add on to what Mr. G said. Uh, you know, New York has all this this beautiful culture, but it's also a place of economic extremes. And so, one thing we really want to do is to to be able to give back to the communities, especially those that need it the most. You know, I, I was saying before that, you know, there are a lot of places people can go to learn about crypto in New York City, but not a lot of places you can go to really understand Bitcoin. And so, you know, we want to dif- sort of differentiate and delineate the two and explain to people, you know, what it means to actually use this technology and why it's not just speculative, why it's not just an NFT or something you can you can play games with, but it's really money. And it's really something you can use to, to build something for your future. And so, uh, you know, we want to get the education out to people in any way that we can. So, you know, I, I have had this tradition personally going back for quite a few years of, of, you know, celebrating Bitcoin Pizza Day by giving back. Um, and I remember, you know, back in 2015, you know, this is again, you know, going back to when, when the price of one Bitcoin was around $237. And I remember that because I always took a picture of the price uh, with the pizza. And I would do this with my coworkers. I do this with friends. And, and so uh, I decided I was using a, um, a service called Change Tip, which was back uh, before the Lightning Network uh, really existed and it was sort of a micropayment service, but it was centralized, but it was, you know, a lot of fun. You could use it on Twitter. You could send tips to each other, you know, anywhere from, you know, one cent to $10. And so I decided, you know, why don't I try to use this to raise some money to help people? And at, at the time, uh, I was thinking about, you know, 
what sort of charity I could donate to. And, and uh, the, the, the uh, Bowery Mission came up, uh, which is a, a large, well-known homeless shelter in lower Manhattan. And I decided that, you know, that would be a perfect place to to uh, to do an event with. And so I asked them first permission. Is it OK if I if I show up with a whole bunch of pizzas? And they're like, sure, come on by. So I, I put out a message on Twitter and asked people if they you know had uh, any kindness in their heart to donate whatever they could. You know, whether it was, you know, five cents or a dollar or ten dollars. And we had people from all over the world donating whatever they could in, in Bitcoin uh, to a, uh, a Twitter bot. <laughs> and, and we were able to raise at that time one full Bitcoin, uh, $237 roughly, uh, that we spent on pizza uh, and had, had a whole stack of pizzas delivered to the Bowery Mission that day. So, you know, a circular economy, if you will. It was in and out. We didn't hold the money uh, at all, but, but used it for good. And so I wanted to, to keep doing that year after year. Um, and I, I came up with an idea of, you know, this is when, when uh, the Fold app was first uh, launched and they were actually nothing more than a, uh, a gift card service where you could essentially buy things like Starbucks credit with Bitcoin. And so I was using it to help homeless people get coffee and food uh, in the depths of winter uh, by just, you know, again, putting out little, you know, notices on, on Twitter and asking people, you know, if they, if they were willing to donate and I would show them the results, you know, this, this dollar you sent, uh, bought a cup of coffee for this person. And so, you know, I, I said, let's do something like that at a bigger scale, um, on Bitcoin Pizza Day, uh, in, 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 uh, 2022, the first one that Harlem Bitcoin was hosting. We did a fundraiser using TallyCoin, uh, which was created by a good friend of mine named DJ Foose out of Australia. Um, uh, he's been someone I've known in this space for, for quite a long time and set up TallyCoin off of my, my, uh, my node. So I was able to accept uh, Lightning and on-chain payments and just put out a message on, on the, the, the day before our event was supposed to take place and said, hey, we're looking to raise. And I think at the time I had originally set it for uh, $200 uh, US to two or $300. So it was probably about, about um, I don't know, Jesse, you'll have to help me out here. Probably about a million Satoshis, <laughs> whatever it was. And I, I said, hey, let's, let's, let's uh, see if we can get that. We got the donations within, uh, I think, a couple hours. Um, they completely uh, funded the entire fundraiser. And so when I woke up the next day, I said, hey, we have to double this. And so we actually ended up raising 2 million Satoshis, which I think ended up at around $600 at the time, uh, and uh, took that over to a, a pizza shop in our neighborhood. And what we wanted to do was bring uh, all of that to the food bank. There was a, uh, a local food mission uh, right across the street from Shakib's restaurant um, on 116th Street that serves around 400 people a day, uh, hot meals, people who otherwise wouldn't have uh, a healthy meal that they could um, enjoy and they can take more than one at a time. And so, uh, you know, it, it provides a service six days a week to, to the whole neighborhood. And so we said, hey, let's let's do something with them. Um, we'll donate some pizza to them. And so I, call, I went over to the, the pizza shop around the corner and I said, hey, I have $600. Uh, how much pizza will that get me? Uh, and the guy said, where'd you get that uh, the donations from? And I told him it was all in Bitcoin. And the guy who ran the pizza shop said, you know what? I love that idea so much. I'm going to double your order. He was also a Bitcoiner. Uh, and so he he doubled it to $1,200. And we ended up with 60 pizzas uh, that were were hand delivered to the the the, uh, the food bank uh, on the Monday after Bitcoin Pizza Day, and we were there to record the experience. And and in that uh, transaction, we actually met the 
the lady who runs the food bank, and she is very interested in what we're doing. And so we're now we're looking to set up some events with her organization and uh, do that, some that is, education that, that, at the. Yeah, go ahead. Dan, Chris, it wasn't in that meeting that we met. We met. We've actually called uh, because I did donation pieces with Sultana, so we did it. Uh, you called her and said, "Like, I'm going to send you the donation, right?" Well, I, I, I asked her permission. I wanted to make sure that yes, she knew yes, this yes, was coming. Yes. And so, yes. yeah, I, I called her first uh, and, and made sure that she knew that we were going to be there. We weren't just going to show up unannounced. But yeah, thanks for reminding me. But yes, we we uh, we had it all prearranged, and, and once we we had the pizzas in hand, we delivered them. Uh, and now we're looking to do educational uh, events with her organization. Uh, to try to help people here um, learn about a new technology that uh, we think uh, would be very helpful for them. Yeah, I, I just wanted to jump in and just say that's uh, that's partially the reason why I wanted to get with Harlem Big One because I see where like like I think this is the only organization that fills the void of the difference between Bitcoin and just the other technologies, right? Because you have just so many pop up groups that everybody wants to just preach about crypto and everything like that. And the thing about it is a lot of people just forgetting like the the fundamental stuff, right? So it's just like this organization right here, you're seeing it, this is the only one that's gonna that's really filling that void. And it's it's so crazy because I've looked left, looked right, and I really don't see anybody uh, really tooting the horn of Bitcoin. It's crazy. And it's it's just I'm happy to be with these bros right here. And like from my experience, I noticed a lot of the businesses in the area. They're looking to go cashless, not cashless. I mean, excuse me, except cash only, especially like the uh, the foreigner owned businesses and things like that. People that are not necessarily too friendly with the banking system, that sort of thing. So we're filling that void big time. And I think we all have little stories to share. If I can share like one quick story about uh, kind of what I do. So uh, along my, my, my recycling route, essentially there are people that are, low income, necessarily not very uh, high earners and stuff like that. Mostly older people looking to supplement their income with, uh, you know, picking bottles and that sort of thing. So I try to find a way to like wedge Bitcoin in there in a sense where like maybe I could pay my clients in Bitcoin for their cans and bottles that necessarily I found like a trial and error, different ways of trying to get people introduced to Bitcoin. And it just really hasn't worked for me very much successfully up until maybe I could just maybe give my clients bonuses. So the people that pick cans and bottles, I maybe try to get them to download a Bitcoin wallet, that sort of thing. And just maybe try to create the incentive. Yeah, I know. I mean, just don't everybody clap yet because it's really, really hard to get. It's really, really hard to get people to understand why they need this technology necessarily. So, I mean, I've had some small success getting people to download a wallet and, you know, maybe just send a little Bitcoin here and there, like, okay, it's cute. But, you know, not anything serious where people necessarily uh, have, have put any kind of real money in it. And it's kind of, it's a little bit frustrating, but I find like with some education and, you know, the help of some smart dudes that we got right here, it's really like, I think we're the only organization that's in New York City that's actually Bitcoin only. I mean, am I wrong? I don't see anybody else necessarily kind of forwarding this effort to be focused on this technology that's going to free everyone. So we've done like a lot of work, man, gotten together and we're really young. Like we're still like a baby organization. And it's just, it's like the differences in the big city is just so much. It's just so much going on. Everyone has their own 
agendas, their own opinion. No one has any time to sit down and focus and necessarily there's a thousand people doing a thousand different things. So, I mean, it's very challenging necessarily to get people's attention in a city where like attention is just like being dragged uh, everywhere, left, right. And your attention is being like um, taken from you. But I think like our organization, I think if you watch maybe in a few years, we're probably going to be more one of the preeminent organizations, maybe just, just from just a message that we push. Right. And we try to come up with different ways of uh, introducing like businesses and, and merchants, especially the ones that we are associated with to like Bitcoin. So let's, let's say, um, Dan, you have a nice coffee shop that you like to frequent to. I'm sure you probably like tried to introduce a way of like paying them in Bitcoin. Am I, am I right? Or like, you know no, what I mean? Right. You're exactly right. And, and they, they sort of look at you funny. Um, and, and you, you learn very quickly that, you, you know, usually the person behind the counter is not the decision maker. Um, and so even the places that do say they accept it often don't because um, it's usually the maybe the owner is someone who's into it and they might have said, oh, we take Bitcoin and then you go there to actually spend it. And the person has no idea what you're talking about. So, you know, yeah, we're, we're super early in this journey uh, of, you know, I've tried to use Bitcoin for payments at restaurants and coffee shops for something like six years and we still aren't there yet. Uh, you know, we know it's it's coming in the future. We just don't know when. And and so, you know, getting people to understand why it's useful is something that, that takes time. Dan, and you can't force Dan, it. Yo, Dan, I wanted to also say that, yeah, talking, you don't want to talk to the person necessarily working the shift. You want to talk <laughs> to the boss. And, like, I think, like, that's really good because a lot of us, I think we, we're, like, trying to form. It's, it's We're so early and everything like that. And it's going to take just getting... And, and, you know, make forming relationships with uh, entrepreneurs and, and like proprietors in the community and everything like that. And I mean, the work that we've gotten done so far, I mean, it's 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 a, it's believe it or not, it's actually pretty remarkable, man, compared to like what I mean, look at what everybody else is doing and compared to what Harlem Bitcoin is necessarily what it's standing for, what the purpose is and just like um what we have what we have to offer we have so much to offer uh just people and different businesses that are so as as you're speaking here i'm thinking that it's so bitcoin is a is a solution that so what bitcoiners tend to have in common is that why we get hooked on bitcoin is because it's something that is good for everybody it's a it's a technology that will improve the lives of many people. It's not only for, for oneself, it's a community technology. Um, and so we're often driven by uh, the mission and spreading that um, to, to help others, whilst these most crypto projects is about enriching themselves and so on. And I mean, I mean, <laughs> New York is kind of the capital of capital with <laughs> a lot of greed down it. At Wall Street, right? And I'm wondering if, is there maybe a reason why um, Harlem is the birthplace of the first like Bitcoin only community? That there's a history of, um, say, um, you know, community work and, and things like that. I'm just wondering, I don't know about this, but um, am, am I right or wrong? Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. Harlem is historically known for uh, community staffs uh, for, for a long time. And and it goes way back in, and I guess in, in the terms of the struggling times for 
the early African American communities that lived in Harlem, you know, who have uh, always had the uh, communities that have had it impacted their own people who were living at the time. So, so the idea of uh, of a community and in Harlem goes together, you know, and at some point you will feel like that there is some more community at some point uh, in every generation that that comes in or. I mean, there's a, there's a newer African uh, from Af- community from Africa, like uh, like the continent of Africa that came recently, but still the, the area has a sense of a very community. Of, of we have uh, food pantry communities, we have uh, a lot of food giveaway kind of a thing initiatives that happen here. So the sort of a giving away something free to the people. Uh, what what Bitcoin did sort of a free the money aspect of, of, of giving independence to that. Uh, so that aspect of having the value that if you would give anyone to something, which is basically Bitcoin, as you know, it's you said that there's a corporate America who always looks for something very centralized, <laughs> but uh, the Bitcoin was a, 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 a decentralization of a money. And that is centralization and that the new technology that it, that this uh, blockchain-based technology brings into it, the very people that really need to take uh, advantage and, and get on on it, it's the people that are, are very already marginalized financially. And giving that community the knowledge is basically brings back the idea of Harlem and the community and, and a free information that whenever we can come together, right? So one more thing that I'm wondering is, so, uh, I mean, Bitcoin's going to win and, uh, uh, like, <laughs> all the shit coins are going to fall fall to the side. So you're kind of a winning train here, but it's starting. Um, so I'm wondering, uh, what's the relation to, say, Harlem and creating culture? Because I really felt like uh, when I was visiting Harlem that this was the birthplace of of a lot of culture, a popular culture. I don't know if, if that's correct or not, but it, has there, there been a, a lot of culture born out of Harlem? There's a lot of politicians. A like, culture. Uh, oh, okay, I'll just say, but yeah, a lot of local politicians will often say that Harlem is like the neighborhood that everybody knows all over the world like London, uh, you know, and it's not even, it's a neighborhood. Like it's not even a city. Like people know New York city, but they also know Harlem. And so people who live here for sure have a tremendous amount of pride in the neighborhood and in being someone who is part of this community. And so, uh, yes, I think we're sort of in a sense, just because the, the culture of this area of town is already one of being different, of being unique, of being try, doing new things. And also, you know, um, the people who could use it the most, honestly, are the, the most marginalized communities, you know, are the Hispanic and, La- and the African-American communities all over America, spe- particularly, probably all over the world, but especially in the United States and, and especially here in New York City. So it's like the perfect culture, it's the perfect audience and uh what we really need to do is just be able to it's sometimes as hard as bitcoiners uh to remember what it felt like when you didn't understand or when you weren't even ready to understand because it's like uh from 
it's hard to remember now, you know, that there was a time for most of my life, you know, I'm 49 now and I didn't discover Bitcoin dolls in my 40s. So for the first four decades of my life, I, I thought that piece of paper was the only money. It was it. I was like a fish that didn't realize I was in water. You know, it, it's, I just didn't know what water was because it, it, I didn't know what money was and, and that's how most people are. And so when we, when we're starting these conversations, it is, you do have to remember that we're, we are early and it's a new, we're a new organization. Uh, but it, I will say that people are receptive. They're very receptive. And the African American community, I think just generally are more receptive to Bitcoin. I think there's even some statistics for the United States of America, uh, that, uh, proportionately by, uh, by, uh, by numbers, uh, percentage wise, there's more, there's more African-Americans that, that, uh, get involved in Bitcoin. Yeah. I was going to say no kidding, because I mean, I just from some more anecdotal stuff, I hear people talking about just, uh, crypto and, and just this, just this concept of being able to send money more than a lot of what some people think. And especially in like the neighborhoods and stuff, you might overhear something X, Y, and Z, uh, here and then maybe someone's conversation. And yeah, people are definitely, this is something in the water where people definitely know that there's one, something wrong with the banking system. Uh, two, people need to know, like, uh, not necessarily like, uh, they don't, people know that something is wrong. And then it's more prevalent in like places like where I travel, like where people are just having just conversations um, normally and just talking about everything that they see, like, oh man, inflation is, is really, really high. And like, yeah, you see, that's what's going on. The dollar, the dollar. So people are looking at uh, the currency, as a matter of fact. They're looking at the money as it's like uh, it's an issue. And we just need to educate them. That's the problem. Because if we had something, maybe like uh, something more solid, which is definitely coming, we could definitely point people in the right direction as to what uh, what to do, like how to move and and what uh, what the options are in this new, like in the 21st century, you know? So people sharing with each other, is, is that something that maybe also comes with a, Harlem having a more vibrant street life, that people actually talk to each other more and, the, and exchange you know, experiences and things like that? And maybe, therefore, Harlem is a better place for, say, achieving virality and like people will do more word, word of mouth. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, um, the neighborhoods are really like more close-knit. So if any kind of like grassroots work, it would have to, yeah, it would have to involve like getting like the neighborhoods involved uh, slowly. But I mean, I guess my, my strategy would be like to speak to mostly like uh, the entrepreneurs in the community and just like overall the merchants and people essentially they're going to, they're going to make the decisions uh, that, fit their most their, their best interests right so we have a couple of issues in new york that um Shaki might be able to speak to this a little bit more but i'll sort of i'll brief it which is that um you know so everybody ha if you're a business okay so there's there's two things there's what you were talking about like the street uh vendors and that kind of thing and i think mr g was talking to me about this the other day those those are good people for us to talk to and approach because we can walk up to them and if they're willing, you know, have them either just download a lightning wallet and we can just send it to them. But with a business, there's tax implications and other kinds of things. And there's 
something like strike is not legal here in New York. The, the, there's something called the bit licenses, the New York state law, that uh, makes it very difficult for new businesses to do anything uh, associated with Bitcoin. And so in New York state, we have, you know, we can use Gemini, we can use Coinbase, and we can use Cash App, and that's basically it. And so, but even with Cash App, you can't send a lightning payment from one person to the next. So, for example, if I go to Shakib's um, and I want to pay for his, for my lunch in Bitcoin, what he will do is he'll ring it in as cash, and then I'll send him Bitcoin, you know, through the lightning, and then he'll basically just his machine will because his machine runs through his tax dude. You know what I mean? They like every every transaction they have has to be recorded. Uh, and it goes straight to their tax person and they understand it. So when you walk into a business and you want to pay them in Bitcoin uh, and there's no infrastructure for them to legally or even easily use, they would have, and they have to kind of like go a little bit on the side. You could explain that, look, you can just ring it in as cash and then you can accept this and then just use the, you know, whatever other cash uh, to make up for that cost. But, you know, that's sort of the situation we're in as far as being able to, get it into businesses and that kind of thing. Uh, I don't know if Dan or Shakib or anybody else wants to elaborate or not. I wanted to just add to that because, yeah, uh, there's a lot of uh, businesses that are now trying to switch to just cash only. And it's just definitely a, a void that can be filled there if we can point them in the right direction. Because, uh, man, I could count like maybe three businesses this week that I passed that uh, they, were, they were straight uh, just cash. Only, we only accept cash. We don't want to go through uh, any cashless payments, no visa or any of that stuff. That's really interesting. And that, that relates to my question that I wanted to ask. What use cases do you think are the most um, interesting for for people in Harlem? And you just mentioned that maybe uh, some people that just don't want the monitoring and going all their flows going uh, through uh, some recorded system. Uh, they could bypass that and get cash, and Bitcoin is uh, digital cash, right? Well, I can speak to that a little bit. So, yeah, you, one thing that you will see, you know, pretty much every business accepts credit cards, and now everyone's got the contactless cards, and they're paying through, uh, you know, these these uh, whatever it's like Square registers or Clovers that sort of thing. But um, you'll often see a sign on the register that says payments below $10 must be made in cash, right? They don't want to, they don't want to get charged that 3% credit card fee. So that's immediately an introduction to, to, you know, Bitcoin for a lot of these businesses where you can say, well, Hey, there's a way you can accept a, uh, a payment that's not cash that doesn't require you to pay this exorbitant credit card processing fee. And then in addition to that, you have the, the peace of mind knowing that it's an, you know, it's a fully settled transaction that can't be clawed back uh, by the credit card processor uh, later if the customer decides to open a dispute against you. So, you know, in that sense, it is a lot like cash. Uh, but to what Jesse was talking about, there is the, you know, unfortunate situation where you have to then report your uh, gains on your taxes. Uh, and it just becomes a lot more complicated for people who don't have that understanding of how to work with a non-U.S. dollar-denominated currency in their business. So, you know, uh, I think there's a quite a bit of work ahead for, for us to try to onboard businesses, but we are doing what we can to help educate people and understand why Bitcoin is useful for them. Also, you know, it's important to keep in mind that 
there are a lot of immigrant-run businesses here who have uh, families overseas that want to be able to send money back home. And so we know that Bitcoin can facilitate that in a way that you can't do with Western Union, because again, you get charged these massive fees for making those types of transactions. And so as we've seen with uh, El Salvador, being able to make Bitcoin a, uh, a fully legal tender has allowed them to be able to get around some of those really um, exorbitant costs for remittances. But another thing we want to just help educate people on is, is how to use Bitcoin as a savings device, how to actually just hold it and store it and use it to uh, you know, work against the inflationary mechanisms of the U.S. dollar. Uh, but that takes a sort of longer term thinking. You have to understand your economic picture, not just, you know, a day out or a week out or a month out, but years out. Because, you know, as I think we've all learned over the past few years, you know, Bitcoin is not exactly a hedge against price inflation in the short term, but it's a hedge against monetary inflation in the long term. And you see that over the course of a cycle over any period of four years. You, If you've held Bitcoin, you have not lost any money. But for many people who don't have the luxury of time, you know, we talk about time preference a lot as Bitcoiners, but for many people, you know, they're just making ends meet. Every day is a struggle. And so to be able to think about Bitcoin as a savings device in longer terms is very difficult for people who don't have the luxury of time to plan for, for their, their future. Yeah, it, the luxury of time is really like something. I've You know, people just... If you're living more or less to survive, it's really like hard to just conceptualize saving your money and everything like that, especially this this new technology. So um, I'm right now in Bitcoin Beach in El Salvador. Uh, what you hear in the background, if you hear a noise, that's the ocean hitting the the uh, beach. And um, uh, one thing that I learned just recently, I met with. Um, <coughs> general manager of uh, Konamipe, which is uh, the uh, the El Salvadoran government uh, collaboration uh, body for small, medium-sized enterprises. And one thing he mentioned that was really interesting was that uh, a lot of the expats, um, the, um, the diaspora, the El Salvadoran diaspora, they're illegal um, where they, uh, they've gone to, and a lot of them are in uh, the U.S. and as an illegal immigrant, they may not have access to the standard uh, financial services that are uh, abundant in the U.S. They can't necessarily get a bank account, an exchange account, and it's hard for them to actually get the bitcoins to make the remittance to El Salvador. Um, so he was talking about... Uh, uh, vouchers and that maybe uh, putting up vouchers uh, in uh, in locations or places where there there is uh, a probability of um, high uh, high volumes of remittances would be really helpful to increasing the volumes of remittances to El Salvador. Um, is is that a use case that you guys have talked about um, in? Yeah, I guess there's a lot of Latinos in the, what did you say, the the west side? No, the east side of Harlem. Yeah, right? east Harlem, yeah. East Harlem. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's a big selling point that I usually kick to a lot of people that I come across on my travels. Just telling them the ability for them to send money to their families. Like, So I send money to my family uh, in Ghana all the time. I don't remember the last time I've even used 
like a Western Union. And ever since just uh, Bitcoin just became this this thing, it just peer-to-peer, the ability for but people... if they can't buy Bitcoin, right? My question is, the yeah. person in Harlem that oh, is yeah. unbanked and wants to send a remittance to El Salvador or Ghana or somewhere else abroad, can they buy Bitcoin OTC or in some other way in Harlem where they are undocumented immigrants? You, you have Bitcoin ATMs around the city that kind of uh, operate uh, in like local bodegas and stuff. You have to find them. Some of them you have to search out. Some of them they require. Actually, there's ID. an issue with that though, uh, Mr. G, because I, I tried when I fir- when the first uh, Bitcoin ATM came into Harlem, I, I wanted to try it out. So I went and uh, you have to show you have to you have to put in your driver's license and or passport because right, you still have right. to do KYC. So uh, it, for what Lucas is saying, I think probably the answer is probably no at the moment, unless uh, Shakib or Dan happen to know. At the moment, no, I don't think they could, and that yeah, is that's I, definitely I, I an issue. Speak a little bit to that. So I, I actually was listening to a, to a space the other day, and I, I did hear of a Bitcoin voucher uh, system, and I, I don't remember the name of it. So if anyone um, can remind me of what that was, but I, did I you know there are ways. one in here in El Salvador? Yeah, I, I, and I don't think that was the one I heard of. But yeah, so there there are. I mean, there's always been a way to buy Bitcoin with cash, right? So you can find someone who has Bitcoin and you can offer to, to buy it off of them. But there's that's sort of an informal method. Um, we used to have local Bitcoins. Uh, that became a problem as people began uh, getting a lot of scrutiny for uh, the type of transactions they were making. And so most of that has been shut down. I know there's another one uh, thing called Paxful. But again, I don't know specifically about the ID requirements because KYC is something that's that's very commonplace here. And so, yes, to get access to Bitcoin purchasing, even if you want to do it on Cash App, is is complicated. I mean, you can give somebody cash and if they have a Cash App account or, or an exchange account, they can buy Bitcoin and give it to you. But to be an unbanked individual and not have those resources there aren't a lot of ways yet to get Bitcoin. And so, you know, a lot of the things we do are, are, are really just educational. It's about teaching people how to to uh, use a wallet. Uh, we do send small payments on the Lightning Network to people uh, to get their first Satoshi so they can understand how to use it, how it works. But in terms of, let's say, converting your paycheck into Bitcoin or, or whatever, you know, income you're earning, there still are a lot of challenges there, and that's something that that um, is going to take some time to to try to solve. And I, I don't specifically know uh, of the best methods to do that yet. Is there any anything that you guys are uh, focusing on, or that you thought you'd like to share? Um, don't let me stop. Uh, you I'll here. just sort of give a. I'll give a sort of. I'm just going to sort of give a blunt, open view of how I see things as Harlem Bitcoin right now, and. Uh, as Mr. G said very beautifully, uh, we're a baby. We're just getting started. We've, we've uh, been around since March. And it's moved, for me personally, fat, way faster than I thought and gotten kind of bigger than I expected. Um, so I'm a little, you know, I'm still kind of trying to grow into it, you, you, you know, a little bit. Um, for the short term, we are attempting to turn ourselves into a nonprofit organization officially. And in that case we can accept do- officially we're like really actually accept donations then we can get uh spaces you know like legit spaces kind of thing or people to have uh 
do other kinds of things that we were, we could, uh, for example, like you were saying, Lucas, or, uh, and Dan even mentioned it, uh, where we can give, begin to get like Bitcoin into people's pockets, you know, kind of thing. And then, uh, you know, and just kind of grow from there. So, uh, we are, like I said, we are working on Shakib, uh, backyard possibly where uh, hopefully we can get that going. If not before the winter, then definitely in the spring. And then, uh, you know, uh, I think we, we might have something, Shakib might be able to tell us or Dan, we might have something coming up very soon at uh, Safari. Uh, but other than that, you know, we're just going to keep having our meetings every, every month or so. Our main focus, we decided uh, internally uh, on a conversation the other day that um, because we're not a nonprofit yet, because, because we're not able to accept any, like uh, really accept money to use for spending uh, on things, uh, we're shifting our focus a little bit just right now until we're a nonprofit into sort of looking at um, like local political leaders and stuff like that to kind of just get the idea into their heads that people around here do like Bitcoin, that it, it is money. It's a, a real thing. And, and uh, so that's sort of our short term, I'd say we're going to be doing, we're going to be working with local uh, council members, uh, state senators, that kind of thing. We're going to uh, be working on becoming an official nonprofit. And then uh, we're going to work on getting, you know, a regular, a regular, some regular legit spaces and then sort of figure out how else we're going to uh, grow the educational side of what we're doing. It's a perfect time to say that uh, we, uh, at Global Bitcoin Fest, uh, DAX is working actually now full time uh, with uh, helping people set up Lightning nodes. Uh, DAX is our producer. He also runs our Global Bitcoin Fest node that we set up specifically if people would like to donate so that, so that actually the, the SAS don't go to any specific person, but we have our own node and then and then we can distribute the SaaS from there. So if, if you guys uh, need or want any, uh, any assistance with setting up your node, and of course we'd love to connect with your node, please uh, talk to our friend Dax Sosa. Uh, you can see him in the audience. He's also in the chat. Uh, please continue, uh, Mr. G. Oh, yeah. No, that was, uh, that was pretty great. It's definitely um, it's good to just see... Uh, things like that being thrown on the table. I wanted to say like, yeah, definitely a nonprofit organization, I, I think is the best method to get Bitcoin into the hands of people, because I guess that's the one way to sidestep like the state apparatus and everything like that. As long as everything is legit on the table, everybody knows what we're doing and everything like that. I just want to say like, that's a good structure to like, basically we can definitely touch the community that way. And I think that would be like the best thing we could ever we could ever do. And I mean, um, that'll probably be the best way we could reach out to local businesses, uh, businesses and, 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 and the like, you know, so it's, I'm definitely happy to be uh, affiliated with this organization right here. And, you know what I mean? It's just, I think it's just like, we have people like the butcher, the baker, the, ba the candlestick maker types. I mean, we didn't have John here tonight, but we have really people from the community that just are, run-of-the-mill people, working people, entrepreneurs, professionals, artists, you know, very just creative people. And we were converging and then it's it's coming together really, really nicely. And um I'm I'm happy to just be here. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'll add. I, I, Dax, I, I definitely want to connect with you after the space. Um, most of us who are involved in Harlem Bitcoin are running nodes. Um, I have my node. I know that Jesse, uh, Mr. G, Shakib, and John are all running a node, but we're all at sort of different stages of our journey. Uh, some of us have just set one up, and some of us have been running them for a little while. I actually started mine uh, over a year ago. I was one of the early members of Plebnet. Um, back when that was happening on Clubhouse, and then I, I, you know, sort of got tired of Clubhouse and moved over to Twitter Spaces and kept my node running, and, and I still have a, a bunch of channels open with people, and I've actually been using it all the time. Uh, whenever I need to, to send a Bitcoin payment, um, especially Lightning, um, I, I always uh, use the node for for uh, you know all of the the benefits that it offers, and so you know we want to help educate people specifically business owners, but really anyone individually. And we'd like to actually be able to provide education to, you know, young people who like to tinker with technology, who, who want to set up nodes of their own, uh, just so they can understand the inner workings of Bitcoin. Because once you set an, up a node, you really, I think, have a different perspective on the network and how it actually operates and, and how you play a part in it, how you are a decision maker on the node and on the network and can actually um, be you know a, a, a force of good to to improve the security uh, and the longevity of Bitcoin, and so um, you know we want to be able to help people set up nodes. We'd love to be able to connect with people overseas. Um, we'd like to to work with uh, specifically uh, individuals in Africa who are running nodes, so we can create um, some international community. Uh, and I've been speaking to people. Um, I know Alexandria, you're on here, and we've talked about that before. Um, we'd love to be able to have more connections globally to be able to expand what we do uh, outside of just Harlem. You know, we know this is just the beginning. Uh, this will grow beyond our neighborhood. And uh, we want to see, you know, our part in the Bitcoin story be written um, in, in the same way that Bitcoin Beach has. Uh, you know, we, we talked earlier about Bitcoin Boulevard um, uh, happening in Harlem. It's something we'd love to see uh, take place. Uh, and we think that you know, all of the, the, the beginnings of that are showing. They're all here, but it's really about us doing the work to help people understand why Bitcoin is important. And, uh, you know, that's really, it starts with education. It starts with individually speaking to people one at a time and teaching them about Bitcoin and letting them go on their journey. You can't force it for people. You have to sort of open the door and let them walk through. And so uh, that's why sort of Bitcoin adoption is taking the amount of time that it takes because, you know, every person has to have their own, you know, light bulb moment where they understand why Bitcoin is important. And, uh, you know, we're just here to help facilitate that. Okay. Hey, guys. Um, it's getting late over there. It's getting late over here in El Salvador as well. And um, I'd like to, for, uh, as an exception, uh, start the round off because one thing that our conversations made me think of is that um, your effort and the Global Bitcoin Fest effort has a lot of things um, in common. We have a lot of things that uh, we could share. Uh, for example, I'm thinking of Shakib. Uh, one of our Global Bitcoin Fest uh, co-organizers is Danny Alos uh, from Argentina. He lives in Buenos Aires and he was running for many years the meaning spot for Bitcoiners in Buenos Aires and I think it's maybe the top meaning spot uh, for a long time as well in uh, Argentina so um, I'm sure he has a lot of tips and tricks up his sleeve that um, maybe um, could be interesting for you guys to talk about uh, 
some of his experiences and ideas and things that he did um, and uh, what what things happened to him and his space when he was running that. Um, so I'm happy to, to bring you two together if you want. Shakib unmuted. Do you want to say something? Yes, thank you very much. Yeah. yeah, thank you very much. I look forward to it. Yeah, that's a really uh, a lesson to learn from someone who was running that that for, and then it's a shared education, whatever ups and downs, and how to go go around those things. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Happy to do that. And also, the maybe we could connect our nodes. There's uh, uh, also uh, a bunch of our. Uh, of our crew is uh, from from Africa. We have here Alexandria. I don't know what time is it. It is over there in Zimbabwe, but I think it's like 4 a.m. I don't know what he's doing up uh, at, the, <laughs> at the current time. But if you guys want to interact with other parts of the world, I think uh, our crew is uh, uh, at least 10 plus countries across uh, Asia, Africa, uh, South America, Central America, uh, North America as well. But I think the only one we're lacking is uh, Europe, but it's not as interesting. <laughs> I'm from Sweden, but I don't live there anymore. Anyways, uh, I really enjoyed listening to uh, your stories here, and um, I really enjoyed learning about Harlem. Um, and I hope to be able to visit soon and see for myself what's what's happening over there. And uh, um, I you, you mentioned earlier that. Uh, it hasn't actually been that negatively affected uh, after all the lockdowns. The the life is back, so I'm really happy to hear that too. With that, I'd like uh, each one of you guys to share some roundup thoughts, and I can see Shakib already unmuted, so maybe you could start with your thoughts. I think this was a very uh, uh, informative uh, sharing your ideas, and and uh, we share with you how. Harlem Bitcoin initially started with uh, uh, from from the beginning days and, and and where we are now and the ups and downs uh, that we had it. I'm still learning the curve with that we're going through and try to improve uh, the people's lives and helping them learn about this new technology that can mean something beneficial to their future. Uh, and we are here, and it's, it's still the learning is, is ongoing, and uh, it's always every day uh, that new ideas whenever people meet up. So every meetup that we have, it, it's educational for the people that come and for us also. So it's it's a shared uh, ideas and a shared vision together of being Bitcoiners in Harlem. And now we are talking to you guys and learning uh, your community and, and, and the globe and, and in Africa. And, and uh, most of the unpacked uh, communities in the world really needs uh, a Bitcoin. And look at us. We're talking about Bitcoin. And then uh, Bitcoin is basically what brought us together, as I would say so. Uh, I look forward to uh, connecting you more in the future about how we can push this thing together. You guys are doing wonderful things on, on, on improving uh, uh, people's lives and educating them and at some point we interact and uh, doing this together with uh, with you guys will broaden our networks and a friend is in bitcoin and we keep it up this way so bitcoin love lovers <laughs> all of you guys thank you very much thank you so much shakib and hey mr g oh man thank you so much 
Um, it's been great just connecting and uh, knowing that uh, we're not as small a community as we think we are. Because uh, it's surprisingly, you'll be surprised how many uh, people are involved in Bitcoin and how many people are not. And just it's it's good to see that we're not in here alone and we can always reach out to each other and pull from each other's strengths, which is always a good thing because we are, you know, we are all Satoshi and uh, we definitely um, we definitely build off each other's experiences to make a better experience for the whole. And I hope to meet you in New York, man, one of these days, brother. Maybe we could go to Ricardo's Steakhouse <laughs> and get uh, some good steaks in or something, you know. Don't be a stranger. There's definitely plenty of stuff to do in the city. I'm vegetarian. No, I'm pescatarian. So I'm not a real Bitcoiner, I think. <laughs> oh, no. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna block you, bro. No, they're don't, gonna, don't worry. <laughs> you know, Harlem, as, as you mentioned, um, you know, it's a very diverse area. There's plenty of vegan restaurants around here, too. So, I uh, know I'm, I'm happy to, to meet you whenever you're here. We'd love to have you over. Um, though I will say Shakib is a fabulous cook um, and you, you definitely would be missing out by not enjoying some of his uh, uh, sambusas. So um, maybe um, if you could continue. Uh, yeah, sure. So first of all, I... I uh, I wish we'd had John here. I know he just joined the room and I'm not sure he's able to speak, but uh, he's definitely one of the most eloquent people who I've ever heard speak about Bitcoin. I think the man knows the white paper by heart and uh, the way he he includes people, the way he brings people in, talks about history, um, talks about uh, oppression and uh, how how, um, Bitcoin helps overcome that is something that you shouldn't miss. So if you can get to one of our meetups, uh, I think you'll really enjoy that so um you know we are looking uh i think to do something on the 28th of this month uh, we'll, we'll have that confirmed and we'll post a uh, a link on our, uh, our twitter and on our meetup page once we have that officially squared away but we'd love to see more people in person because connecting with people in the flesh in real life is extremely important uh for bitcoin adoption uh, you know it's a digital currency but it requires people to meet each other and learn from each other. And so that's what we are doing here at Harlem Bitcoin. We want to be able to help people just in their daily lives understand how Bitcoin works, how to use it, how to safely store it, how to not lose it, um, and, and why it's important. And so, you know, we can't have a circular economy unless we have everyone um, participating. And so that includes businesses and includes individuals. Um, and so, you know, we're here to, uh, again, help facilitate that and, and bring some more understanding and, and kind of break through the noise because there's a lot of clutter, a lot of noise in this space, a lot of confusion. Um, a lot of people think it's a get rich quick scheme and there are plenty of get rich quick schemes and a lot more get poor quick schemes, uh, in, in this world. And so, you know, we want to help people understand why Bitcoin is important, uh, and why it is not, uh, like everything else that they've ever seen before. And so, uh, that's why we do these spaces. It's why we do these meetups and it's why we exist. And, uh, we look forward to everyone's support and helping us continue our mission because we know that one day we will all be uh, transacting in Bitcoin and we just want to be the ones who help others learn and, and come along on their journey. So thanks again for having us tonight. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Hey, Jesse. Hey, thanks again, Lucas. Um, let me say also before I say anything else, uh, I'm glad John was able to pop in and uh, yeah, he's uh just been amazing uh as a co-leader and uh he really talks to knows how to talk to uh, politicians too by the way he's just really great and i i look forward to uh having our 
next meeting and being able to uh, hear him speak again. And uh, to you, um, I just want to say uh, thank you so much, Lucas, for setting this up. Um, you know, what we're trying to do with Bit Harlem Bitcoin community is a lot what's going on right where you are right now in, uh, in uh, Bitcoin Beach. You know, starting with education and then getting into financial inclusion and hopefully eventually a Bitcoin economy, circular economy. And that's what we're trying to do with Harlem Bitcoin community. And we're going to keep on growing and uh, just doing what we're doing. So uh, thank you once again. I hope uh, one day that uh, Bitcoin Beach will be as well known as Harlem is. And uh, we'll keep going until uh, 116th Street is Bitcoin Boulevard, USA. And um John, if you want to hop up and say something, you're super welcome. And if not, I'll just share Global Bitcoin Fest. We're all about listening to plebs all over the world. We love hearing local stories, what's going on in their communities, uh, both about the place, a little bit like traveling virtually, like Lonely Planet for Bitcoin Maxis. We're all about Bitcoin only. And we love to hear what Bitcoiners are doing in that place, what projects they have, what ideas they have. And we love to just connect Bitcoiners all over the world and connect with Bitcoiners all over the world. So that's what we're all about. And um, with that, I'd like to ask everybody uh, to unmute. This is uh, a thing that we always do. Uh, we have a joint little session where um, we uh, share how you say goodbye uh, in the country. And uh, in this case, it's Harlem. I don't know if there's any like specific Harlem goodbyes. So I need everybody to unmute uh, because it's much better that way. So if you guys can unmute uh, together and tell me, is there any specific way in Harlem that uh, that like some local slang. How do you say goodbye? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I would we say talk like out. everybody else in America. <laughs> say later. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, I, I was kind of kind of suspecting it. <laughs> yeah, because usually when we do it, you know, it's a country, so we get like the Colombian goodbye. And um, but um, I guess uh, it's. But uh, I thank you very much. It's been a true pleasure, guys. Thank you so much for this session. And uh, have a great evening. Thank you. Harlem Bitcoin. Hyper-Bitcoinization in Harlem is happening right now. Ciao, guys. Ciao. Adios. Global Bitcoin Fest. Celebrate Bitcoin adoption with Bitcoin communities. Worldwide.